I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. Well, it's not true. In fact, if you're a leader or a manager, it's your obligation to change other people, to help them become better at what they do, to become stronger. And if you care about the people in your life, then it's your longing to help them change in ways that support their own growth. This is the subject of my newest book, which I wrote with my good friend Howie Jacobson. It's called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Employees colleagues, even family up their game. It's based on my coaching methodology that I've worked on over the past 30 years, brought to you in a practical step-by-step format that you can start using immediately. You can get it wherever books are sold. To download a sample chapter, either in written form or audio version, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word, bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. And if you've already enjoyed You Can Change Other People, please consider leaving a review on Amazon to help others just like you discover the book. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Whitney Johnson. She is a good friend of mine. She's a good friend of this podcast. She's been on here a couple of times before. I'm so, so, so excited to have her back. She's the CEO of Human Capital Consultancy Disruption Advisor. She has been writing about the S-curve for many years. She's an expert on smart growth leadership, growing your people to grow your company. The book that we're here to talk about is her latest book, Smart Growth, how to grow your people to grow your company. There's many, many more things I could say about her. She's ranked in the Thinkers 50, a top 50 management thinker in the world. Most importantly, she's a friend of mine. Whitney, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Friend of Peter, (laughs) FOP. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so, so delighted uh, to be talking to you. And in fact, if we didn't have a time, we were just talking before this podcast. If we didn't have a time limit, I'm sure we would just still be um, chatting and talking. So you've written this new book, Smart Growth. You, you've written a bunch of books, and they all focus on the S-curve in one in one form or other, uh, which I love because it's take it's it's actually what you talk about in the book, which is you know you get to mastering something and then you start to morph it into something else, and you're still leveraging the the skill and the concepts that you have and 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 bringing it to the next level. One of the things that you say in the book in the beginning is that we are pre-programmed to progress, that we're driven to grow. And I wonder sometimes, and I'm speaking of myself here, if that drive can be too much, if we um, push ourselves too hard to constantly grow, if we lose our ability to relax and be comfortable with what is, you know, what is, I'm sort of thinking about this drive to grow, the shadow side of it could be a sort of consistent dissatisfaction with where we are. And I would love to, you know, you focus so much on growth. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. All right. So before we do that, can we both agree that we are pre-programmed to grow? Do you agree with that premise? I, I don't, that's actually an interesting question. I immediately thought of what my reaction would be to it. Do I, do I agree that with the premise that we are pre-programmed to grow, um, to, yeah, I, I actually, I feel pre-programmed to grow. Like I don't, I've probably evolutionarily 
you know, physically, we're certainly pre-programmed to grow. Biologically, we're pre-programmed to grow. We're certainly pre-programmed to procreate and, and develop our families and our species. And so, yeah, so I will agree to that. Thank you for asking okay. that question. It took All me right. a second. Okay, so, so then we can both agree that growth is our default setting. So then what you're really asking me is, can this sometimes get off track? Or the way I think about it is, can these cells that are trying to grow become cancerous at some level? So that's one question. Yeah, there's, I'm, I mean, I'm, the image that comes to my mind right now is uh, somebody just sent me a picture somehow from the archives of the, the tallest man ever who was like, I don't know, nine feet or 10 feet. And he had a, uh, a he had something called gigantism, which is a mm -hmm. thing where mm -hmm. like your growth is unlimited and eventually it kills you, right? Yeah. You die young because you can't sustain that kind of a growth, but physically you haven't limited it. So I guess, I guess I'm asking about that. Yeah. So I think there are two answers to your question. I think the first is this, the, the natural cycle of growth. So we, you know, if, if you, you're a skier, right? You ski, you ski down the mountain and then you rest, you get on the chairlift, you go back up. So there's this natural cycle to that. So I think there is that element of, um, we do need to grow and then rest. We need to, um, we need to be awake. Then we need to sleep. We need summer. Then we need winter. So I think there's that natural cycle of growth. And I'm not sure that you're talking about that. I think you're saying, you know, too much growth all the time. And so what I would say is that, um, if our growth is left unchecked and you're talking about shadow values, for example, that emerge to protect us and we're only about our growth, for example, then they do become cancerous. And this idea of gigantism, there's not something that's putting that in check. And so if the growth that we're looking at is only about me or it's only about you, then what's happening is the ecosystem in which we're working, in your case, it's your family, your workplace, et cetera, and you're take, 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 you're not giving anything back to the ecosystem, then that becomes cancerous. And so that is the wrong kind of growth. That is not the kind of growth that we are talking about in this book. We are talking about the kind of growth that is um, you, you do take nutrients from the ecosystem, but you also give back to the ecosystem. And I mean, even if you want to think about this at a more metaphysical level, at some point, um, your body is going to die and you're, you know, it will go into the ground and it will become, um, nutrients for whatever will come next. And so I do, I your answer is yes, there can be too much growth, but the way I think about it from a practical perspective is all of us are in an ecosystem and is the growth that's happening growth that actually feeds the ecosystem makes it possible for those around us to grow or is it um it's it's a vicious cycle and we're only pulling from the ecosystem so that's that's how we think about it in the context of this conversation great and i and i, I think both your points are really excellent like it's the, the idea of inhaling and exhaling feels very mm -hmm. important around this also and then mm -hmm. and then not making it all about you Take us through the S-curve. This is the yeah. model that everything is sort of built on. So take us through the launch point, the sweet spot, mm -hmm. and the mastery sort of quickly, but to give people who don't know mm -hmm. the S-curve. Uh, yeah, so so the background of this is that the S-curve is something that was popularized by Everett Rogers. He's a social scientist back 60, 70 years ago. And he was looking at it to figure out how quickly social change happens. In his particular instance, he was looking at corn and how there was this corn that could improve the yield and people weren't adopting it. He's trying to figure out why aren't they adopting it? Um, and he finally discovered as he analyzed that social change that was taking place, 
is that change happens along an S. And so that was very interesting. It's the diffusion curve. We used it at our disruptive innovation fund that I co-founded with Clay Christensen to help us figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted. But for whatever reason, my brain goes to how can we take management theories, whether it's disruptive innovation, whether it's the diffusion curve, how does it apply to the individual? Because if we understand how it applies to the individual, then we can, we can operationalize it. And so as we were investing, I thought, this also applies to the individual. This S-curve that's looking at how groups change can help us understand how individuals change. So for everybody who's listening, what I want you to do right now is we're going to draw, you're gonna, we're gonna draw it and you're gonna say, that doesn't look like an S, it looks like a roller coaster, but just stay with me. So I want you to take your finger or a piece of paper and go from the left to the right. So basically a horizontal line. And what that is, that that is the launch point of an S-curve. And every time you start something new, you start a new job, you start a new role, you wanna learn how to ski, whatever it might be, you are at the launch point of that S. And growth at that point is absolutely happening. But because your brain, and we can get more into this in a minute, your brain hasn't figured out how all these pieces fit together, it feels very slow. It feels like a slog. So that's the launch point. But then as you put in the effort, um, you accelerate into competence and confidence. And now I want you to take your finger and you're going to go from left to right, but you're going to do this swoop, almost like the Nike, Nike swoosh up. And that's the steep, sleek back of the curve. And what's happening there is this is the sweet spot because now your growth is not only happening, it feels fast, it is fast. And this is where, and unlike at the launch point, it took a lot of time to feel like anything was happening. Now in a little time, a lot happens. So you've got the launch point slow, you've got the sweet spot fast, and now your finger is at the top. What I want you to do is draw one more line from left to right, it's a horizontal line, and this is mastery. And what's happening here is you are very good at what you're doing, but because you're no longer learning, you're no, no longer enjoying the feel-good effects that come with learning, your growth actually slows. So this S-curve, what it does, it gives you this model, this simple, simple visual model to think about what growth looks like, no matter what it is you're doing. And if you want to think about it even more simpler, more simpler, more simply, <laughs> more simply. And this is something that Michael Bungay Stanier, our mutual friend shared with me. He said, Whitney, so what you're really saying is slow, fast, slow is how you grow. So that's the model. <laughs> it's a very Michael Bungay Stanier thing. To yes, say. it is. Yes, um, it is. I, I'm curious because as you talk about this, I keep thinking about my kids and I'm just curious if you've done work in education or you've done work with kids, I feel like it would be really, really useful for kids who are literally spending their days learning. Like we don't, you know, for most of us, we learn, but we're not in that environment where eight hours a day, they're learning and they're struggling and they're probably going through a hundred S curves in a year mm -hmm. to understand the dynamic of what's happening. And they understand when it's frustrating and slow, something is still happening. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you've worked with kids around this. So Peter, that's a great question. I would love to work with kids around this. Um, to date, the, the people reaching out to us, we've done actually a lot of work in higher education. Um, especially, well, not even especially. So higher education at my alma mater, BYU, we've also done it with Western Governors University who are adults returning to get their education. And when people can take this S curve, 
Um, what happens is that it basically traces that emotional arc of growth. And so that experience that you're having of, oh, this is really discouraging and I feel impatient and, oh, this is exhilarating. This is so fun. And, oh, I'm really good at this, but I can't stay in college another day. I need to graduate. I need to get out into the workforce, right? I can't stay in fifth grade another day. I need to graduate. I need to get on to sixth grade. So, so yes, that, that could be very fun to work with schools. So I think the way we should start is to book a conversation between you and my 14-year-old son and and just to, to explain to him, like, every time you hit a new section in math, you're back down in that place is going to really feel sloggy until you feel like, I got this and now I'm bored. Like, that's going to happen every single time and don't get frustrated by it. It's just a natural process of learning. I remember the old model. Um, that we that I still teach and still talk about about going from unconscious incompetence. I don't know what I don't That's know. Right. That's right. That's right. Conscious incompetence, which is sort of that painful place where now I know mm -hmm. what I don't know and I realize mm -hmm. I'm having an impact that you know is not what I intend. To conscious competence, which is a lot of energy and effort. That's a sweet spot. Right, but That's I can do it. Spot. That's a sweet spot. Mm -hmm. That's growing up. Yeah. And then yeah. and then unconscious competence, which is mastery. Exactly. Right. Um, do you think your son would do that? Yeah. Uh, we should, yeah, yeah, we should do it. That would be so interesting. And would, would he actually that. let us record it? Yeah, let's do let, I, I will talk to him. We today. can do an experiment. Yeah, we can I do an experiment. I would love that to do an experiment. Yeah. And then if he, if he wants to air it, we can, and if he doesn't, right. that's okay, but right. we'll still do it. I think that would be I think so be really interesting. Fun. I think that'd be really fun. Oh. And you know, if we did it with my daughter, who's 16, who's here now, yeah. um, if we did it with both of them together, she would be more, um, I think, appreciate it. Like she would, she would engage with you more about it than he would. Yeah. But so it might make sense to do. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Right. Okay. Let me that. let and me give you one it. more thing to think about as um, before we we hop off this. So here's what's going on with the neuroscience. Your brain is running a predictive model. We run our brains are processors, but they're also predictors. Right. So basically, what's happening is at the launch point, your brain has this hypothesis about what is it going to take for me to be successful in in algebra or calculus, for example. And at the launch point, a lot of your predictions are going to be inaccurate. And because they're inaccurate, your dopamine drops. And no one wants their dopamine to drop because that's the chemical messenger of delight. But you're gonna keep making these predictions. And those predictions are gonna be increasingly accurate. And so you're gonna get lots and lots of dopamine. And that's why you start to get exhilarated because all of a sudden now all these neuronal connections are happening, synapses are happening. And so predictions are working, dopamine, lots of upside, emotional upside surprises. And then in mastery, what's happening is you figured out the model. Done, good. You're getting a little bit of dopamine but not a lot. So that's why it's hard to start something new. Why once you do start, you get lots of momentum. And once you're in master, you're like, oh yeah, I don't, I, I need a challenge. And so you need to jump to a new curve. So I'm curious about the science if, and I don't know that you know that this research has been done or, or, or that you know about it, but I'm curious when you learn about it, because this is what I'm realizing I'm thinking with my son or with anybody who's listening to this podcast, when you learn about the S-curve, when you understand the dynamic, whether that struggle now ends up giving you a dopamine hit because you know you're in a process where you're launching and you're getting up to the S-curve and it's frustrating, but in a way that might actually exhilarate you instead of frustrate you because you know you're in a particular kind of process. Do, do, do you have a sense as to whether um, that So, 
okay, everything that you're saying just really resonates. So my, I, I, I think you're right. So I was thinking about this in the context of, so if you're at the launch point and this, I think this, this runs in a parallel track. So if you're at the launch point and you know that you're not, you're going to make a lot of inaccurate predictions. So one of the things I've thought about is, you know, you go back to atomic habits, right? James Clear's ridiculously small goals. So if you make those ridiculously small goals, then what have you done? They're so small, you know you can do them. So now your predictions are going to become accurate. So even at the launch point, you're going to get dopamine. And I think that that syncs with what you just said. And my experience is that that is true. Because last year we, we were going on vacation and I don't do vacation very well because I'm not working and I really, you know, work is super comfortable for me and so I, I should be working. But when I had the S curve in my brain and I was feeling uncomfortable trying to unplug, I was like, oh no, you're good. You're on the launch point. <laughs> it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Good job, Whitney. That's interesting. So right. yeah, I think it does make a difference. Right. So you talk about, in fact, you organize the book in these sort of six stages yep. that move us through or that uh, identify points in the S-curve. Um, growth, explorer, collector, accelerator, metamorph, anchor, mountaineer. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, growth is not one. These are stages of growth. So it's explorer, yep. collector, accelerator, metamorph, anchor, and mountaineer. Can you talk us through it uh, pretty quickly? At a high level? Wanna, at a high yep. level, because I want to, okay. you know, or, or even... Or even maybe we combine a couple of things I want to do. Maybe talk us through it quickly, but use an example that um, you know that that makes it real for us of like someone who's moving through these stages, so that it's yeah. uh, so that it becomes clear. Yeah. Okay. So um, so for example, if you so I decided about a year and a half ago I wanted to start running, or maybe two years ago now, right? I wanted to start running. So if you're um, actually, I wanted to be physically healthy. So I was thinking to myself, do I want to jump to the running S curve or do I want to jump to the UFC fighter S curve? Okay. That's kind of a joke. UFC fighter. UFC fighter. <laughs> exactly. So at the launch point though, you're basically exploring lots of different options and deciding, do I want to do this curve or that curve? Do I want to run? Do I want a UFC fighter? Do I want to climb Mount Everest? And you're, you're going through really quickly making a decision about, do I want to explore this S curve or not? Once you make a decision, I want to explore this. In this case, I said, you know what? I think I want to run. Then you move into the collector phase and you're collecting data of like, does it make sense for me to run? And what does this look like, et cetera? So what I did as I said, all right, I'm not going to run for three minutes a day. I'm not going to run for 15 minutes a day because that was that was not going to happen. I'm going to run for five minutes a day for a week, and I'm going to increase it by 10 seconds a day. And so what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to collect data. Um, am I enjoying this? Can I commit to this? Do I feel good? Can I accomplish this? Is this, this Does this work for me? And once I collected that data, I was like, okay, I want to stay on this S curve. This isn't exploration is over. I've collected enough data to suggest that in fact, I can be successful on this S curve. And so once that starts to happen, then you start to hit that knee of the curve and you're able to start to move into the sweet spot of the curve, um, which is that accelerator. So that thing at this point is I, I am running, um, but it's not yet who I am. It's just sort of out there, this thing that I want to do. But when you get into the accelerator phase and you're like, okay, so, so you went to explore collector accelerator. What I'm curious about is when you're running for that five minutes, do you, and five minutes and 10 seconds, do you yeah. stop? Or if you feel good, do you keep going? No, I stop. You stop no matter what. Yeah. You stop. Cause I, cause I want, I want the dopamine want hit the of like, I did it. Right. 
Like right. I don't want, I want, cause what you want is you want your brain to be like, I said, I was going to do it. I did it. Yeah. Dopamine. Cause if you keep right. going, it's like at the beginning of a day where you have a list of things to do and you start out and you're like, okay, I want to get these five things done. Have you ever done this? You're like, okay, I'm pacing so well. I've gotten those five things done. Now let me add 10 more things to my list. And so you've gone from feeling very effective to all of a sudden very ineffective because you added a whole bunch of things to your list. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. It's interesting because, because what I would do is, you know, run for the five minutes and go, oh, this feels good. And then go, you know, to 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then maybe I get achy the next day or whatever. So it's like set a goal and do not exceed it. That's nope. very unusual to, to oh, sort of hit it. set a goal and do not exceed it. You can yeah. always let your success in that goal change what your goal is for the next day but don't exceed your expectation of yourself. Yeah, because what's happening is there's this identity shift taking place, right? At the launch point, you're running. You're not yet a runner per se. Right, right. And so there's this identity thing that's happening. And if you go too far, the piece of you says, I'm not a runner starts to hit back. Right. So part of what you're doing is you're tricking yourself. Right. And you're going so gradually like, well, I ran yesterday for five minutes and 10 seconds. I can do five minutes and 20 seconds a day. And your identity doesn't put up a fight. Right. Right. It's just right. So small. right. 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 Ridiculously small habits. Yeah. So right. now you're in the sweet spot. You're accelerating. Right. So Growth accelerating. is and feels fast. And so it's not, it's not yet who you are. And so back to that, you know, conscious incompetence, you're still being very deliberate. There's this place of optimized tension of like, Yep. So I'm running every day. I'm gaining, I'm gaining speed. I'm increasing duration. So that's accelerator phase. And then you move into metaphor metamorph, which is the top part of that sweet spot. And this is the place where you're metamorphosing and you're, it's going from what you do to who you are. Right. And then you get to mastery. And what happens in mastery is you anchor. So now once you're in master, you're like, I am a runner. And so one of the things that I did is I had this goal of, I wanted to run a 5k. Now I didn't go out and run a 5k, but I wanted to be able to get on the treadmill and run a 5k, which I was able to do. And so now after it took me a year and a half to get there, cause I went so slowly, took a lot of time to build those neural pathways. But now I think of myself as I am a runner. So I anchored that behavior. I celebrated and said, I did this. Now the question becomes is once you get to that top, you, if you want to keep growing, you can't stay there forever because your plateau will become a precipice. So you have to figure out a way to keep climbing. Now, in my case, I could have said, well, I want to run a 10 K, but that's not a mountain I want to climb. So I said to myself, all right, well, I want to get so that I just run. Now I run a mile three or four days a week. I run two miles, at least one day a week. And I'm there because then what I want to do is I've switched from running. I've switched from running to being this goal that I had to just something that's sort of baseline for me, general health, so that I can move on to other goals. Like I probably need to take up yoga and start stretching. So that's what it looks like. So I wasn't a runner. It's this thing I did. Now I consider myself a runner. I jumped to a new S curve in this case, because I didn't want to run a marathon. I just wanted basic good health. And then I'll jump to another curve to continue to be help to, to be healthy. Is, is the anchor always an identity piece? Like now I am. Yeah. Right. So now I like it, it, it sets it. And then what you're saying in terms of mountaineer or like that next step, it, it's, it may, it may be to continue to set a new, a new goal in, you know, I want to run a marathon or 10 K, 
Or you may say, all right, I'm going to go off and learn something else. Like I've done this and I don't right, need, to exactly. need to expand this. I've gotten what I want out of this. How do you know? How do you, you know, know if you've like gotten what you need out of it or if there's more to get out of it if you go the next level? You know. You know. You just know. You know. I think you know. Right. And you just sort of say, I'm not interested in this or I am. Because I think what, you know, if you're going to the next level, if you start to go to 10K, there's a way in which you are back at the explorer stage. Yes, you are. And that's that right. That could be kind of demotivating, right? That could be it like- can. And, It can, it can, right, because you're resetting. Demotiv- you're resetting and that demotivation might kind of, like I think of people who do a lot of things and they give up a lot of things and they jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, that could be fine. Um, or it could stunt their growth in a certain sense. Like they're, they're, they love the dopamine hit of continuing. They hate the, you know, the flat part and, you know, serial uh, business starters. And I just wonder, like, when you say, you know, I wonder whether, you know, there's, there's like some advice you can give people about mm-hmm. gritting through that next stage yeah. after they've gotten the dopamine hit of the. You, you actually raise a really good point. So I, I have had people ask me, do people sometimes jump to new S curves too often? Is that part of where you're going? So yeah. George Leonard called it, you know, the dabbler, sort of the eternal kid yeah. never wants yeah. to grow up. Right. And so I do think that there is, that is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Sometimes you see this happen in companies where people will start to move into the sweet spot, especially in hot talent markets. And so they start to get picked off, like come work for us. We'll pay you more money. We'll give you a promotion. But from a, from a domain expertise perspective, and even from a leadership perspective, their growth starts to get stunted because they move into the sweet spot and they jump and they move into the sweet spot and they jump and they never complete that growth cycle. So I do think that that is a question. And we now, to be fair, some people really like to start companies and that, that is what they, they are a master right. at starting companies Right, and that's okay too. Right. So right. it's just, sure. I think that's it's, I think spot. it's a question of, you know, once you've made a decision that this is, this is in sync with your identity and who you aspire to be, are you jumping to a new curve? Because in fact, that is the way that you're going to continue to grow. Or are you jumping to a new curve because you gave up? And I think that's the thing that's part of the, that's part of developing and maturing as a human being of knowing the difference. And maybe that difference is, are you truly at the anchor stage? Like, have Mm -hmm. you truly achieved the thing that you wanted to achieve? Mm -hmm. And now you're at a new point, which says, do I want to achieve to the next level or something else? But if you stop midway through, if you stop in the collection stage, or if you stop in the metamorph stage, then then maybe you're, you know, and, and that's, you know, maybe once or twice is fine, but if that's yeah. sort of a, a trend, then maybe you're right. giving it too soon. Right. Now I would say it's completely fine to stop in the collection stage. Cause that's the stage where you're making the decision. Am I committing to this curve or not? You're gathering the data. Do I really want to do this? Can I get the resources I need to do this metamorph when you're almost there and you just sort of parachute out you don't want to do that because that your sense of self and your ability to complete, if you've gone that far, you're, you're getting your, your focus is getting pulled. You want to complete the growth cycle because for a person to be a truly peak performer, and I know I'm kind of turning this on its head. It is a person who can successfully navigate all aspects of the growth cycle, the launch point, the sweet spot and mastery. Right. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I have focused so much on emotional courage. One of the questions that comes to me is, 
that one of the biggest challenges of the explorer stage is the risk that it takes to move into something new. And if it's big, it's not just a personal risk, but it can really feel like, like a cataclysmic risk. I'm thinking about, you know, that you give you to have this great story of Mike Rowe and the risk he took in airing a television spot that everyone else would avoid. Yeah. Like a suicidal move or a great growth move. Like it's yeah. kind of hard to tell. And there's this moment in the explorer stage that you say, you know, is this worth the risk? Now, that's not necessarily true with five minutes of running because mm -hmm. that's a sort of safe exploration. But if you're going to put something out in the world and you don't know how it's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen with it, et cetera, it could be the start of something. It could be the end of something. Yeah. Um, how, what, what advice would you give to people around that? Well, I mean, I think if you go back to the micro story, I think you could argue that in many respects, so he was at the top of the curve and that he'd been doing this evening magazine show for, you know, I think several years, he got a call from his mother and said, Hey, you know, basically a call to adventure, right? When are you going to produce something that your grandfather is going to be proud of? And so on the one hand, it was a big risk, but on the other hand, I think for him, he would almost argue he had no choice. That's interesting. And do you find that that's true for a lot of people in the explorer stage that they're, they, they, or when they take big risks, the answer is yeah. I have no choice. Yeah. I think, so I think one of two things happens. Sometimes you get pushed and fortunately we do get pushed. I think that's one of the, the beauties actually of COVID is that we were all on an S curve pre COVID pre pandemic, and it pushed us off to a new S curve, the post pandemic, you know, curve. And while it's been very challenging and very difficult. It's created this sense of movement. Mm -hmm. And so people now have to decide what they want to do, but there's a sense of, okay, well, I, you know, I can do this. You know, people talk about the great resignation. I think it's the great aspiration because people are moving and they have this sense that they can move and this, this self sense of self-efficacy has increased. Right. That's great. Uh, in, in a sentence or two, the difference between a virtuous growth cycle and a vicious one. Yeah. Okay. So that comes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of a vicious growth cycle is one where you or I are in an ecosystem and we're just taking, taking, taking. Now as a child, that's going to tend to be true, but if we get to an adult and then we're still just taking, you know, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can you help me with the other thing? And we're not helping other people. That is a vicious growth cycle. The virtuous is that you, uh, people are giving to you and you are receiving nutrients from your ecosystem, but ultimately you're giving more than you're getting, you're, you're getting so that there is, so that everyone in the ecosystem is growing. Got it. Great. Okay. And, and with a few minutes left, I'm going to give you a tall order, which is, I want you to take me through, uh, coach me a little bit through, through the S curve. And, and what I was thinking about as I read, I read the book is, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty accomplished nonfiction writer, right? I've written five mm -hmm. books. They've done well. Uh, I've contributed to 16 others. Like I I'm, I'm definitely at the, you know, mastery stage, at least. I didn't start there. I worked very hard. It took many, many, many years, over a decade, but I'm very comfortable with that. I have been reading these, and as a kid, I used to read these Hasidic tales, these tales of like a spiritual master walking from village to village, sort of half simpleton, half brilliant, genius, wise man, uh, and, and, you know, kind of fun and interesting stories that also teach something. And I've really been wanting to write in that in that style mm -hmm. in a much more of a fiction style. And I am definitely back in the explorer stage and feeling like I've tried for a bunch of years and I'm just not good at it. I'm just not 
I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. So I thought, well, let me let me uh, just give you that challenge and yeah. help me. Like, how do I work through? How do I? And and you talk about this in the book, like leveraging, you know, t- mm-hmm. a, a cousin to what you've or a mountain you've already climbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is definitely cousin, but it also feels incredibly daunting to me. Right. Okay. Okay. So what I would say for you um, on the explore, I, I love this question, by the way. So explore key questions are, I'm going to ask you these really fast. And we're going to rapid fire is number one. Do you believe that you can be a fiction writer? I, I like, it's very easy for me to say yes, but I think there's a part of me that's like, I just might be a bad writer. Like I might not be a good fiction writer. So I, so that's, that's my, like, I, I conceptually, I know you could do anything that like, I could believe anything that I work yeah. at, I could become good at, but there is a part in my mind that just goes, I'm just not like, I read all these great, you know, the Ira Glass thing, which is, right. you know, you read all these great people and will I ever be a great fiction writer? I don't know. Yeah. So you want to believe it, but you don't quite believe it. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. I'm somewhere between those two things. Yeah. Okay. So that's something I think to play with. And so one of the things we talk about in the book is this idea of, you know, we talked about this identity piece, but they're also, what you can do is you can just start to program yourself of, I am a fiction writer. I am a writer of Hasidic tales. Yeah. And actually one of the things that I noticed in my own answer is um, I, I may be asking the wrong question. You asked me, do I think I could be a fiction writer? And my answer to you was, I don't know that I'll ever be a great fiction writer. And those are two different, those are, that's a disconnected Very different things. question. Like, right. you're not asking me, do I think I can be a great fiction writer? You're just mm-hmm. saying, do I think I can be a fiction writer? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting where my head goes, which is if I'm not a great fiction writer, then I'm not really a fiction writer. Right. And, and from a coaching perspective, you know, I might say to myself, like, all right, you know, <laughs> maybe that's the wrong bar. The question uh-huh. she asked you was, you know, can, do you believe you can be a fiction writer? And my answer to that question is, yeah. Yeah. And it's, inter- it's an interesting question to ask yourself as well, because when you first started writing, when you wrote your very first nonfiction book, did you even think of yourself as a writer or were you writing a book because you had something you wanted to say? It was a calling card for your business. And so that's another question to ask yourself. Right. Right. I mean, I, I you know, the answer is actually I wrote, you know, as a kid, I used to write fiction stories all the time. It's just when I grew up that I that I stopped. Um but I remember I was actually at in with a very, very good friend of mine in, in a hot tub. We were skiing somewhere in Utah, I think. And and we were we met some people and they said, and I had just begun to write. And they said, What do you do? And I said, you know, I'm a writer. And and I'd maybe written an article or two. And later my friend was like, You're not a writer. I'm like, well, I'm trying it on. Like I've written some stuff and I'm trying to like, I'm playing with this identity. Like, what does it sound like when I tell someone I don't know I'm a writer? Like, Mm -hmm. do I believe it? Do I not believe it? So, so Mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, really. So, so I, I'd say on the Explorer phase is, um, it sounds like you've actually made the decision that you want to be on this S curve, but there's some identity pieces that you want to be playing with and just asking yourself, do you actually believe that you can attain? And what is it that you're trying to attain? Like what you just said. Um, and then you, another question you want to ask is, you know, is it easy to test? So what, what could you write that would allow you to test if this makes sense for you? So instead of trying to write a great novel, is there some very short 
story that you could write, put it out to a few people and start getting information and feedback on that so that you can. Yeah. I mean, I would say even I would, I would lower the bar to that, which is like the, your five, the, my equivalent of your five minute run, Yeah. which is don't even write a short story, write a scene, write a conversation, yep. write to look at a picture and write about what's happening in that picture in kind of a fun way. And I don't necessarily need to show it to other people because I, I, I do get pleasure out of my own writing. So like, yeah. I don't need other people to say it's good or not yet, because I think one of the things that I have to shortcut in myself is that writing for me to write fiction requires someone else to say it's good. So yeah. I think that might shut me down. It might be a better thing to say, um, you know, write for five minutes of something. I love it. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I would, so um, a couple additional thoughts. So one thing is that you, you know, another question is, does this fit my identity? And the fact is, is it does because you've been writing fiction since you were a child. Right. Hasidic tales are also cons consistent with your, your, your style heritage, right? Oh, my, your my style heritage. of writing and your heritage, right? right. So they're, they're both consistent. Right. So then what I would say to you is then let's look at the collector stage and you're basically now collecting data of does this make sense for me to stay on this curve? And to your point, maybe the goal is five minutes a day of writing fiction, right. no matter what, right. for 30 days right? and see what happens. And right. you just ask yourself, did I enjoy this? And if the answer is, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Okay, let's go another 30 days of five minutes a day. You start to build momentum. And once you build those neural pathways, you're able to start to gain momentum and accelerate into the sweet spot. Um, so that would be my, that those are my suggestions to you. Yeah, those are great, great suggestions. And I'm going to commit to five minutes today of, of writing. So that's really, really fantastic. We have been speaking with Whitney Johnson. Uh, she is awesome. She has written most recently the book, Smart Growth how to grow your people to grow your company. There's great wisdom in our conversation, uh, Whitney. And, and, and what, I, what I really love where we ended is where do you start, right? Which is, you know, like, like the most important part of the S-curve is, you know, the first five minutes, right? In a sense, because that's what launches you onto the rest of the S-curve. Buy the book. It's a great book. It, it's a guide to you know, moving forward in the things that you're going to find are really important to you uh, and, and it's motivation to keep going. Whitney, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Peter, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, then you also might enjoy my newest book, You Can Change Other People. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold or by going to bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word. If you've already enjoyed the book and found it useful, consider telling a friend or leaving a review on Amazon. Leaving a review helps retailers recommend the book to others just like you. So it's really helpful. Thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.